Let's do it. Lewis out sand with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? That's right. Right now is the perfect time to call, too. Oh, yeah. Got all our lines wide open. That's it. Should you happen to think of something maybe during the week or right. even after we go off the air today, you can always visit our website and get sure. your questions answered there. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. How about that? Good. <laughs> Sound like a deal to me, boy. <laughs> the address is www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Easy way to remember that is to take the acronyms Altazan's Garage Company right. and get you to our website, and there's a contact bar on every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night, and he'll get it back to you within 24 hours. Should you happen not to get something back, resend it and check the return address. And maybe check the way it comes back to you. Say you're in an office building, it could come back as spam or right, something of that nature. Out. One thing, too, is that each time you need to send me an email, if you'll go to the website and fill out a fresh form and send that to me, I'll receive it. Uh huh. I know a lot of times folks will take, like, an old form, they'll go to their delete box or whatever, and they'll just reply to an old email. Now, unfortunately, what happens with that is that the site changes where it sends those emails from time to time for security reasons. Gotcha. As long as you go to the form, it's automatically sending you to the updated address. But if you just reply to an old email, it's going to probably not. just stick you in a junk file. Right. not ever going to see it. I know we had a guy last week that I just happened to look through my junk file. I yeah. was just perusing through there, and I saw he had sent two emails. But he had replied to old emails. Gotcha. So what you got to do is go back to the website each time and fill out a fresh form. That way it goes to the current address. Because they do change those up just to keep the spam bots from spamming us to death. Right. Because what happens if you, if you got one address and you get it out there on the internet, pretty soon all the spam bots get it and it'll fill your box up. You have 10,000 emails every day to, yeah, try, to try to filter try to go through. through. Yeah, so it's yeah, a, that's a security big reason it rotates those out every so often. So if you'll go to the website, fill out a fresh form each time, I'll absolutely surely get it for you. Now to work. Pop on there and see what you think. We just put one on there this morning on transmission leak. Where and why transmissions leak. Be a good, Might be a good, good article. article. Mm-hmm. A lot of times folks see a little red dot in the driveway, not really sure what it is, and uh, sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. It may only leak when it's running. It may only leak after just a few days. Mm -hmm. But leaks never, ever get better, and they always tend to cost more in time. Exactly. So to save yourself a whole lot of money, you might want to go in there and just read that article. Kind of familiarize yourself with it. It shows you pictures of where transmissions leak, why transmissions leak, stuff like that. That's a good thing that if you can get some kind of visual on a, mm -hmm. what you're talking about, it really makes things flow a lot easier. Right. Well, I had a guy who had emailed said, my car only leaks after it sits for about a week and a half. Uh-huh. And he couldn't understand why. Well, this goes into detail why that can happen. Because there are things that the transmission drain down, areas that store fluid, and it returns to the pan eventually. When it does, it raises the fluid level to a point where it's leaking. Exactly. Now, if you run it every day, you may not see that leak. Mm -hmm. So the, the leak's not being created by sitting, but it's just being revealed by sitting. Right. So that's just one of many, many good articles on there. Pop on there and see what you think, www.agcoauto.com, and I think you'll really like it. We're going to our phone lines. Wayne, good morning, Wayne. Yeah, Lewis, I'm fixing to change my oil. I change it twice a year. Okay. In April and October. Uh -huh. and it's cool. Yes, sir. And I usually have about 6,500 miles that have gone by whenever I change my oil. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm thinking about going to Mobile One Extended Performance. I've been using Mobile One. Yeah. Will I get a little bit better results, perhaps, by going to Mobile One Extended no, Performance? Sir. No, sir. There's no difference in those as far as I know other than the marketing on it. Let me ask you, Wayne, how do you use the vehicle? How do you drive it? What's your average trip? 20 miles. Okay, you're running 20 miles a day? Under 20 the, miles one way to work. Yeah, see, under those conditions, you could probably go out that long and not really have much problem because you're getting it up to full operating temperature, and that's great. Those are basically ideal conditions. So you can get by going that long. But I would not go any longer than that. The reason I'm dead against extended oil change intervals are a number of things. See, what they look at when they look at oil, they say, well, it doesn't oxidize until 6,500 miles. Well, that's true. The oil can hold up. But what it doesn't tell you is that little bit of glycol that leaks out the intake gaskets, a little bit of glycol that leaks out the head gaskets, the little bit of sludge that builds up that's in that oil, the liquid contaminants go right through that oil filter. They form acid. They eat the engine alive. And the oil is still good, but it's all full of contaminants, and the only way to get that out of there is to drain and fill the crankcase. So yeah. that's why you want more frequent. I tell you, before I would spend money on any kind of extended thing, I would go back to regular oil and change it more often. You're going to do yourself a big, big, big favor. Or just stay with your mobile one and do what you're doing as long as you're driving that far every day. Uh-huh. But that extended life stuff, all that's all marketing. Okay, wouldn't it wouldn't cause any negative effects with the clash with the regular mobile one? I don't it? think it's any difference. I think it's the same product in the bottle. <laughs> you know? okay. I think the label is the difference. Okay. All righty. Okay, man. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would certainly love to have you. Why don't you go ahead and just give us a call? You see just tons and tons and tons of that extended performance, older vehicle special formulation. Right. There's nothing different with that. All that is they realize there are certain niches in the market. People who have older vehicles, they see that on there, and they're going to buy it. They're still filling them from the same assembly yeah, line, just yeah. they're going down different routes yeah. to get the stickers. Yeah, I mean, who knows what's in there, if exactly. anything different. But just regular oil change more frequently. It's just a time-honored formula that's worked. For years and years and years. That's right. We really did not have near the engine problems, near the leak problems, any of the problems until about the last five to ten years when they came out with these extended oil change intervals. That's right. That's when we started seeing sludge up engines. seeing problems. Rear Big main problem. seals leaking, valve covers leaking. Everything uh, has gotten worse in the last ten years since they've gone to this. Right. And just regular oil change done right every 3,000 miles, you just can't beat it. And you don't even need synthetic oils if you're going to do that. Now, if you want to use a synthetic oil, then that's even better. But don't fool yourself in thinking synthetic oil is going to go much longer. Just because synthetic is a better detergent, it's going to get dirtier than regular oil. That's right. It's going to clean better. Clean far gonna, better. It's going to do a, a lot better job than regular oil. It's going to clog the filter a lot faster. That's right. Especially if you run it in a engine that has been run with conventional oil in it. Right. Or if you're making a lot of little short trips, which that's is right. what most people do. Now, in his case, where he's going 20 miles a day, yeah, that's ideal conditions. You mm -hmm. can get by with almost anything there. But that's not the way most people operate their vehicle. Most people, their average trip is three to five miles a day right? per trip. And so it's little short trips. The engine never gets to operating temperature. All the condensation doesn't there. pull out. The oil built collects it, and right. it's going right through the filter because of liquid contaminant. That's right. The filter can't filter can't take that the out. out. It's going right through there with the oil. All right, we're going back to our phone lines with Herb. Good morning, Herb. I've been using Amsoil since 1988. Okay. And, That's great. Uh, they used to say, and I've seen one case of it, where synthetic, their synthetic motor oil and ethylene glycol will plug the screen on the suction of the oil pump. Yeah, uh, ethylene glycol will, will plug any it. screen on anything. It'll it'll plus, it also destroys the ability of the oil to lubricate. Mm-hmm. 
it made a glaze on there. It just it can glazed right. it over. Well, slime more more slime than a glaze. I just wanted to throw that in there. And, mm-hmm. uh, I've had extremely good luck out of the stuff. And yeah, it's good stuff. It is. Uh, it's as good as any good synthetic. And see, the thing with Amazon is a true synthetic, as opposed to a lot of the products on the market. For instance, some of your Castrol products, in my opinion, are not a synthetic at all. They call them synthetic, but they're just a Group Four petroleum that's been hydrocracked. It's a highly refined petroleum is all it is. It's not really what I would call synthetic. It's not made out of alcohol like like your esters or your diesters or any of that. But, yeah, it's a good product. Almost all of the oil now, even the non-synthetic oils are great. It's just that they need to be changed. Well, I'm I'm one of these 25,000-mile guys, but anyhow, but I drive a lot. I don't Mm – I I change them once a year at 25,000, so that's – but I've had good luck out of that mm-hmm. procedure. But yep. But if you just dog around town, like you said, that's not good. <laughs> that's for sure. Okay, All right, man. Bye-bye. All right. If you want to be part of the automotive aisle, we would love to have you. And we got Pete online. Good morning, Pete. Good morning, fellas. Good morning. Yes, it's a beautiful day. I'm oh, it is. Specific, I got one specific question What's and that? one right. general question. Okay, sure. Let me let me tell you what my situation is and then the specific and the general question. All right, sure. I got a 19, I'm sorry, 2004 Chevy Silverado okay. with a 4.8 liter engine. Yes, uh-huh. I'm sorry, 89, 89,000 miles okay. on it. Went from getting about 18 and a half, almost 19 miles to a gallon to about 17 in the last three, four months. I actually switched from generic gasoline gas stations mm-hmm. to strictly Texaco in okay. the last, oh, five, six. And I figured I was going to spend the time this weekend cleaning my K&N air filter on there. Yeah, that won't make any difference. Car- Changing the spark plugs. Of course, I, I did clean the filter yeah. uh, about ten, nine, ten months ago. Yeah, but Pete, uh, the, air filter is not going to affect your mileage at all. Right. Uh, not, but not change, any. Changing my plugs, making mm-hmm. sure my tire pressure was right. Mm-hmm. But the, the plugs are, are original to the truck. Yeah. Well, uh, you're not going to hurt anything changing them. It's probably not going to help mm-hmm. your mileage, but it's not going to hurt anything to change them for sure. The only way a spark plug can affect mileage is if it's misfiring. And if it's misfiring, you have a check engine light. Uh-huh. But as long as it's firing, it's not going to affect your mileage one way or the other. Okay. The, the well, things my... that will affect your mileage are, number one, the engine temperature. If anything is wrong with the thermostat, for instance, if the thermostat is weak and it's not running to full temperature, that is going to drastically affect your fuel mileage. Uh-huh. A weak or, or lazy O2 sensor will affect the fuel mileage. A bad MAP sensor, which is manifold absolute pressure sensor, uh, will affect the fuel mileage. Of course, any kind of restriction in the exhaust or anything like that can affect your fuel mileage, or a transmission that's not going into lockup will affect fuel mileage. Those are by far the leading things. All the stuff that we used to know or thought we knew, like air filters and spark plugs and all that, you can absolutely forget any of that. Well, you show I'm showing my age with my comments. <laughs> yeah. See, an air filter, if it is 100% restricted, it will not affect the fuel mileage at all. All it'll do is restrict the airflow. When it does, the O2 sensor will cut the fuel back. You'll lose power, but it will not affect the mileage. Absolutely will not do it. And the same thing with taking the air filter completely off or putting any kind of air filter you want. It will not affect your fuel mileage. It can affect performance, but not fuel mileage. Same thing with spark plugs. As long as they're firing, they're not going to affect fuel mileage. Now, if they're misfiring, yeah, obviously the engine's not running properly. You know, it's missing. You'll get worse mileage. Truck's been running just fine. Yeah. No, no change in performance. Check, first off, uh, make sure it's getting the full operating temperature. 
And the best way to do that is to get a thermometer and put like down in the radiator or something and check the actual temperature. If you got a scan tool, you can read off the sensor that goes in there and, and see. Make sure it's getting to around 200, 210 Two to degrees. 10, yeah. If it's not, if see to an engine, 180 degrees is cold. My temperature gauge hasn't changed no. at all. The yeah, gauge, the gauge, gauge reads, reads off of a different sensor. Right. I and, see. And, it, okay. and see, it could be a bad sensor, and it thinks it's cold. Right. Even though it's full temperature. So that's what you got to check because that's going to be the major inputs to fuel mileage. Because when the engine's cold, when the when the computer thinks the engine is right. cold, it's going to double pulse the injectors, right. which there goes your gas mileage. It doesn't have a choke. So And same thing with the O2 sensor that's read, reading lean. It's going to start richening that mixture up. See, so those are the kinds of things. Everything is going to be totally sensor and electronically related right. now. The computer's controlling it. If it gets a bad input, you're going to get a bad output. Uh-huh. All righty. Well, okay. Y'all answered both my, <laughs> my, specific, my specific question was going to be, is there any any uh, tricks I need to know about changing the spark plug? Well, I'll tell you what. That's a great question. I'm going to get some break. Could you hold on just a minute? I'll get you right after the break. Hey, we're going to take a quick little break and be right back with more. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. I get your kicks on Route 66. Hey, Jim. Becky said you were in the office and, whoa, what is up with all the charts and graphs, buddy? Oh, I'm using my system I've developed to keep up with the maintenance on my three cars. Is that an armillary sphere? Yes, yes it is. So, the oil gets changed every third full moon. Brake pads divide the years Becky and I have been married by our oldest son's age. Timing belt is leap year, except when it's on the time. You know there's a better way, right? I just take my cars into Agco once a year for a general inspection. They give me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need. Sometimes it's just an oil change and they send me on my way. One time, they caught something that could have led to a huge repair. Saved me thousands. Wow, that sounds great. You know, I'm always trying to save money any way I can. Uh, let me get Agco's number online and I'll uh, give them a call. Is that dial-up? Dude, there's a better way to save money. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just joined us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? And we're talking to Pete about changing your spark plugs. Pete, a couple of tips on that. One is... You want to buy an AC Delco plug. I think the part number is going to be 41-110 on that uh -huh. particular engine. But don't go with any of those aftermarket plugs. None of that triple electrode, none of that junk is going to help at all. It's not going to work right. Go ahead and get the AC Delco plug that goes in it. Put the right plug. Second is make sure your engine is nice and cold when you do it. Not only does it make it more convenient to work on, but you see what happens. you got aluminum heads on that engine. And if you take an aluminum head that's warm, that hole is expanded out. You take a nice cold plug and it screws way down in there and you get it good and tight. Well, when that plug heats up, next time it comes out, the thread's coming out with it. So you want the engine to where you can lay your hand on the cylinder head. You want it good and cold. And the iridium plugs, which is what goes in there, do not have to be gapped. They're going to come self-gapped. You might want to check them and make sure they are properly gapped. But if they're not properly gapped, you need to return them because iridium cannot be gapped. If you start bending on those electrodes, you're going to crack them and they're going to fall off in the engine and, and tear the engine up. So they should come pre-gapped. And the specification will be written under the hood of the truck. It's on a little sticker under there. I don't remember off the top of my head. I, I think um, it's 41 thousandths. I think it's 40 thousandths. 40, 41, something like something, that. But look under the hood there. of your truck. It'll give you a specification. 
And lastly, if you got a torque wrench, look up the torque spec for them and go ahead and torque those down whenever you put them in. Because, again, you're dealing with an aluminum cylinder head, so you don't want to over-tighten them. Okay, is there any trick? to uh, The spark plug wires just come off the plugs without... Well, no, they're bare. Some of them have coils attached and all that They, they tend to stick. The plug tends to stick to the wire boot. If you'll take the boot and kind of twist it back and forth until you can twist it halfway around where it comes loose off the plug and then take it off, you stand a better chance right. of it coming off without tearing it up. But if you, you just grab, grab it and pull it pulling yeah. on it... It's going to rip or it's going to pull the pin out the inside of it, mm -hmm. and then you're going to be in a set of wires also. Right. Now, uh -huh. if, you, if you do decide to change the wires, if one of them breaks, or you got to <clears> change the wires, also be aware there's two different sets of wires that go in right. that truck. There's a short set and a long set. Right. They use Melco calls and they use Delphi calls. And depending on which call it's got, one of them is about 10.5 inches long, the other is about 9.5 inches long. And if you interchange them, you're going to have problems. If you put the long one instead of the short one, it's going to rub on something. If you put the short one instead of the long one, it won't, it it won't, won't reach, reach properly. So you just got to be sure you get the right stuff. Well, thanks for answering my specific and my general question. All righty, so Pete. Appreciate Thank it. You, Thank sir. you, sir. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi. Right. Right. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. And we got Mike on the line. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning, guys. Yes, i got a quick question. Sure. Uh, a uh, 94 GMC 2500 pickup truck. Uh-huh. And the air conditioner's been been doing been working great, but uh -huh. I've noticed over the last couple of weeks or so, mm -hmm. when I turn it from low to medium to high, the fan speed increases. I can hear it, mm -hmm. but it's not blowing any. The air's cold, but it's not, not blowing. Hard. It's not blowing any hotter. Yes, sir. I tell you, Mike, the number one cause of that is that the evaporator core is getting plugged up with dust and trash and debris. That's fairly common on those vehicles. You know, a car that old, it's an awful lot of dust and debris has blown through there. It didn't have a cabin filter on it. So what happens, all that dust and debris hits that wet call and sticks to it. And it's just little tiny parts per million each time. But, I mean, over the last 16, 17 years, it gets quite a bit of it in there. And it okay. restricts the flow. Now, okay. they do make cleaners for that purpose. And it's a little difficult to get to. You may have to take the blower motor out. Get in there, spray that in, and just take your fingers and just gently pick it out. You can even use something like an old toothbrush or something to kind of brush it. You don't want to use anything metal on there because that's very, very thin, soft aluminum. Even with a toothbrush, you want to be careful. Yeah, you, well, you, you bought, knock I a bought, hole in it. Yeah, I bought the truck in January of this year, mm -hmm. and I brought it over to uh, – had the blower mower uh, cleaned out, replaced, mm -hmm. uh, et cetera. And that's what I was thinking. I was curious. Well, I wonder why it's not blowing any more air. I mean, it's cold there. Yeah, but well, see, if, if, no they, if, they just change the, yeah, if they just changed the blower motor and didn't clean the evaporator, I doubt very seriously they clean that because it's a real bear to do. Most yeah, it's shops not don't something run. most people will do. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. You almost got to okay. do it yourself. Now, the other option there is, Mike, if the evaporator core is clean and they did put another motor in there and it's kind of, you say it's about the same before and after? Well, no, I mean. Or was it worse when, after? When, I, when After they worked on it back in February, so mm -hmm. they put the new uh, blower in there. Uh -huh. You go from low to medium to high. I mean, uh -huh. it was it would freeze your it would freeze your behind off right. the truck, and it was blowing hard, you know, a lot of air. Uh -huh. And then I've just noticed over the last three weeks or so, okay. there's no difference between low and high as far as the air coming out of the vent. But you can hear the fans' uh -huh. motor speed increasing. Increase. One thing you need to check is make sure the air is not blowing out somewhere right. else, at like the, out of the defrost or out the of the floor. Because See, if it is, then one of the doors. Door. Mm -hmm. It's got a mowed door in there, and it can be stuck partially open. It may be blowing out the floor at the windshield. And you, and right. You, you just don't notice it. Yeah, you don't notice it there because uh, it's not uh, doing you much good. So, yeah, make Real sure easy of that. To check. And I think that one on 94, I believe, is going to have a cable-type system. So it may it just does. be cables adjust out of 94? adjustment. Or, yeah, 94? 94's got a, I believe so. I believe, well, we got a, I believe when that body style it. style came out, they got mowed motors okay. on them. it could. Yeah. 
So one of the motors may have... Any way it goes, yeah, one of the motors, something may be stuck. And if so, it may just be a matter of adjusting something or replacing a little actuator. Cool. All right, guys. One last thing, too, Mike, just occurred to me. That's a plastic squirrel cage fan on there. Mm -hmm. I have seen a handful of those fans split at the little seam where it goes on the shaft of the motor and start slipping. Right. And at low speed, it kind of goes around and does okay. But when you speed it up, the shaft kind of slips inside the motor. I've, I've oh. seen a couple of them do that. So if nothing else works, maybe check that. That's kind of a so long if, shot. So if, if, that, if that fan is, if that blade is split, you'll still hear the yes. uh, the yeah. revolution increase. But yes. It's not pushing the, the noise will increase because the, the motor's motor turning faster increasing. than you're hearing the motor. But right. uh, what happens, it's a little shaft uh, and a little squirrel cage fan, and the shaft goes right. through the center of it. Right. It'll get a crack in that plastic squirrel cage, and the shaft will rotate without turning the squirrel cage. Oh, uh, I got you. All righty. Hey, man, I appreciate it. All right, guys. All right. Thank you, man. Right, if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we've got Claire online. Good morning, Claire. Good morning. Yes, ma'am. Good morning. Yeah, just talking about if you have a, a knock sensor on a 2002 Nissan, mm-hmm. what exactly does that do? That retards the ignition timing if it detects a knock in the engine or a ping in the engine when it's clattering. But I can tell you, if somebody checked it and told you there was a knock sensor code in there, Every Nissan in the world is going to have a knock sensor code. When you check it with a scan tool, it's going to set that code. Okay. So it probably doesn't mean anything at all. It's not setting a check engine light, and it's not having any symptoms. I would get somebody to make sure that the sensor is bad because I think almost every Nissan I've ever checked has had a knock sensor code in it. Okay. It's one of those things that when it goes to the diagnostic mode, it tends to set that code. Oh, so you wouldn't have a problem? Would no. you have a problem with a state inspection? No, it, it doesn't show up on inspection because it's not an emissions code. Now, to answer your question, basically a knock sensor is just a little sensor, and you know how an engine pings or clatters or knocks, right. like when it has mm-hmm. cheap gas in it? Yes. It detects that, and when it detects that situation, it retards the ignition timing, which prevents that from happening. Okay. But uh, if they're not using a Nissan scan tool, they put an aftermarket scan tool, it could probably have that code in there. Okay, so is it is it really important to the running of the vehicle? Well, it is if it's malfunctioning. What I'm saying is probably not malfunction. It's probably a false code. Oh, okay. All righty. All right, thank you very much. All righty, bye-bye. All right. All right. We would love to have you. We're going to take one more quick little break and be right back with more. Mike, heading out for your run? <laughs> I just knocked out three miles myself. Yep, did my meditation this morning to de-stress, and now I'm going to get a little exercise. Tomorrow I need to take the car into the shop, though. That shaking problem's getting worse. Uh, you know, you should take care of your car like you take care of your body, and it would save you some money. What do you mean? Preventative maintenance is key. Me and Kathy bring our cars in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They give them the once-over and perform the maintenance needed to keep us on the road. I haven't had any kind of major problem with my cars in forever. I guarantee they would have caught the cause of your shaking issue and fixed it before it became a problem. And probably saved me money, too. Yep. All right, I'm heading home this evening for steak and lobster. Then Kathy and I are going to test run our new hot tub. Surf and turf and a new hot tub? Yeah, and champagne. Saving money on your car allows you to enjoy the finer things in life, Mike, my boy. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back. 
back. This joins us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us calls? And that's what John did. Good morning, John. Good morning, Louis. Good morning, How are you doing? I'm great, sir. I spoke to you about two or three, four weeks ago about changing spark plugs in my Toyota pickup. Okay. They recommended uh, 30000 Yes, sir. Anyway, you had recommended to me that I let the engine cool down completely yes, before sir. I tried to take those plugs out. Yes, sir. Well, I wanted to tell you this little story. I know you'd get a charge out of it. I, there was a recall on this Tacoma soap. I took it to one of the local Toyota dealers, mm-hmm. and I just decided to go ahead and spend the money and let them replace uh-huh. the plugs, too. Yes, sir. And this was it. I dropped it off at 2, and at 3.30 they called and told me it was ready. <laughs> and I got to the mechanic. I said, my God, man, how did you do this? He said, well, he said, I'm fast. So yeah. I looked yeah. on each one on the top of each one of the coils, uh-huh. and you could tell it had been touched, right? You know because the dust was gone. But I thought I even read a publication on the internet that, uh-huh. to let the engine cool down. Correct. And I know you had told me that. Sure. So And you know the, the funny even, thing, John, look on your bill and see how many flat rate hours they billed you to do that job. Yeah. Well, is that possible for them to change six plugs and do the recalling? Okay. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, man, look, see, that's what my biggest contention is. They half do because they're getting paid full price. So all the incentive is to rush through this thing. More likely he took an impact, run them out, run them back down with his impact, pop the wires on them, send it on out. You know, didn't check the gap on them, didn't torque anything. I mean, yeah, there's all kinds of shortcuts and stuff. Do it in a hot engine. None of them are in your best interest. And none of them will probably show up immediately. No, they ain't going to show up immediately. Next time you go to change plugs, you may have a big problem. But, of course, he's long since forgot by then, you know. <laughs> yeah, even if he's – one other thing. Well, I, there was a service door you can look out and see, you, you know, the, your vehicle. Mm-hmm. But before he finished it, I noticed that he had had a battery charger on bringing the battery back up. What do you think would have caused that? I don't know. Unless it left the key on while they working on it. That wouldn't do it for an hour and a half. I was thinking maybe he hooked up some sort of a machine or something. No, uh, that was, yeah, it'll, you leave the battery, uh, the key on for an hour and a half, it'll definitely run that battery dead. I mean, uh, I've seen uh, it. E- even a good battery. Yeah, that whole, I've er- seen it happen in a half hour. Yeah, everything in that car is running when that key is on, and you got no okay. charge going into it. Now, one last thing, too, you might just want to make sure he did change the three plugs in the back. He might have done a sunny side tune up. Well, the only thing <laughs> I can go by. Is, Otherwise, you can see it, is the ones in the front. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Lewis. I right. appreciate it. Okay, John. Thank you, man. Goodbye. Uh, bye-bye. All right, if you want to be part of the automotive, right, we'd love to have you. Yeah, just give you something else to think about now. Uh, yeah, something to worry about now. Yeah, yeah. yeah they'll do a sunny side tune-up on it. You know, three front plugs are real easy oh, to change. Oh, they're right here in the front. <laughs> yeah, no trouble at all. All of those kinds of things sort of come from that flat rate system. Sure does. Where you're telling a guy, hey, this job pays three hours, but if you can do it in an hour, we'll still pay you three hours. But if you spend three and a half hours, you still get paid three hours. That's right. So the incentive is to hurry up, rush through it, and get to the next one to make some more money. And they learn every single possible shortcut there is and every possible thing they can leave out. And I had a guy tell me one time he could change a set of head gaskets on a four-liter Mustang in two and a half hours. (laughs) And I said, that's ridiculous. It takes almost two hours just to clean the head surface and and the engines. I don't get paid to clean stuff. That's right. Slap yeah. a new gasket Reach on down, it. down, pull the old gasket off, throw the new one on there, take my impact, run it back down, pour the coolant back in it. That's, That's it. what I get paid to do. That's pretty sad. And it gets out of warranty. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's once it's out it, of warranty, it's your problem. That's right. It's going to make it to you out of warranty. But then, of course, you, you got an engine that has all kinds of major problems. But 
Yeah, there's nothing in that flat rate system that's in the best interest of the customer. No, not at all. And the reason that they use it, shops like it, because it locks their labor costs in at 100%. In other words, they're getting 100% of whatever they do. Doesn't matter how long tech takes. And if he is the kind of guy who's willing to rush through and cut corners, they're going to benefit from that because they're getting a part of everything he does. That's right. So sort of implicitly. Kind of a license to steal. Yeah, more or less. More as long as we get our share. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like the mob. Just fix this thing. Kind of like the mob. As long as we get our juice off of it, it we don't care what you do. Right. (laughs) But yeah, I have just always, always been opposed to that system just for all those reasons. Yeah, I don't uh, like it either. Yeah, it just really it, it penalizes a guy who wants to do a good job. I remember the uh, first real job I ever had in the automotive business. I went to work in a dealership, and I worked there about a week. And, of course, they gave me all the wind noises and the water leaks and all the warranty work. And exactly. I'm knocking them out. Boy, I'm just like, man, I'm going to be the greatest mechanic there ever was in the world. You know, I'm, <laughs> I get every one of these fixed exactly right. And I got my check that week, and I made about 15 hours in a 40-hour week. Right. Which – Flat rate was six bucks an hour at that time. So. <laughs> Do the math, huh? Yeah, I was, and the old guy on the side of me said, "Come here, boy. Let me show you how to pencil whoop them." You know? I, said, I don't know if I want to have to pencil whoop people to make a living. Yeah, you know? no kidding. Yeah, that many, many, many years ago, but I never forgot it. Hey, let's go back to our phone lines. Frank, good morning, Frank. Good morning, Louis. Yes, sir. Good morning. I have a little headache here. Okay. Um, I have ninety-six Toyota. Okay. Pickup. Uh huh. I had short block put in it because they had a little minor. Um, accident so they had to uh, throw a rod they told me while they had it there they told me they threw a rod and okay then they uh, they could put a short block in it okay so after putting the short block now i have a little tapping sound on, on the idle position it idles good and mm-hmm. drives mm-hmm. you know the timing and everything seems to be okay mm-hmm. but it's just an uh, annoying thing so i took it back to the fellow and i says if he could tell me where his noise was coming from. Mm-hmm. So he took a stethoscope, put it over in the valve cover on the left-hand side on the driver's side, mm-hmm. and he said the noise was coming mostly the lower cam. Okay. So someone, I had uh, my nephew took the uh, cover off and said, no, that wasn't it. And so they don't seem to think to know what the problem is. And I was wondering if you could help me. Well, I'll tell you, Frank, one of the number one sources of noise that we see on those little engines, that's a little 22RE engine. Yeah. Yeah, the timing Time chains down. are real notorious for making a slapping, knocking noise that's kind of hard to diagnose. And if they put a short block, I don't know if they put a new timing chain or not. They may have, they may not have. But the timing chains are real bad about that. That would be the first place I would start looking. And even if it's got a new chain, it could have the hydraulic tensioners either not installed properly mm-hmm. or it could have broke or not, not working right. Could have knocked uh, the guide loose. Yeah, it's got some plastic guides. One of those guides may have broke or not I've, be installed properly. I've seen them guides come apart and the chain tear into the case, right. into the cover, and cut a hole in the cover. Right. It's something you need to have fixed. And if you're still under warranty with them, I mean, I guess you just need to go back and say, hey, guys, you know, look, I paid you a lot of money to fix this. I got a tapping noise, and I want this fixed. If you're out of warranty, then, I mean, I guess you're going to have to – if you trust them, maybe go back and pay them to fix it. If you don't, maybe get somebody else to take a look at it for you. But I would certainly be checking the timing chain and see. Now, we've also had some trouble with the valve guides in those engines going bad, and you can replace the valve guides separately. They just kind of knock in. And, again, if they put a short block, it didn't come with a cylinder head. So you may have got your original cylinder head back, and something could have damaged in the head and got overlooked. When it throws a rod, that piston is just loose in there, do whatever it wants. If it came up and tapped one of those valves, damaged the guide or bent the valve a little bit, it may have taken a while for that guide to get loose in the head, but that kind of stuff can happen too. You just really have to see it and diagnose exactly where the noise is at. But 
those are the kinds of things I'd be looking for. Well, how big of a job would that have to be? That would be. How big of a job would that well, be? Well, it depends on what it is. <laughs> it depends on which thing it is. Pretty big job if you got to pull the head back off. Uh, or a pretty big job you got to take time to change it out. You right. still, are you Either still way. under warranty on the thing? Not quite a year since the uh, Well, Toyota gives it one year 12000 on on the engines. So the, the parts for sure under a year 12000 I don't know what the warranty from the shop would be, but uh, I would think it would still be under warranty. Yeah, well, I didn't take it back to Toyota. I took it back to a, a regular uh, motor repair shop. Well, did he buy the motor from Toyota or he? No, he used the same motor. Okay, he repaired your motor? Yeah. Okay, well, then you'd have to talk to him. I don't know what kind of warranty right. he gives. You, know, you can buy those motors fairly cheap from Toyota. We generally just put a Toyota rebuilt motor. We don't try to fool with them because once they throw a rod, it's awful hard to rebuild them. Generally, doesn't cost any more to go to Toyota and buy a rebuilt engine and put it in than it does to try to fix the old one. So you, you're going to have to go back to the fellow who worked on it and just see, number one, what his warranty is and if he's willing to do anything for you. If he is, then good, let him do it. If he isn't, then just got to chalk that up to experience and say, well, let me do something different, and you'll get somebody else to look at it and see. But, yeah, it, it could be a big deal. I'm not, I don't want to scare you for no reason. It might not, but it could be. Yeah, if you're going to talk Toyota rebuild mode, why would they normally run? I don't really know. I'd have to look it up. I, I, I just don't know off the top of my head. But they're generally about in line with what most people charge locally. So whatever you paid, probably around that. Okay, but the guy looked at it, and he didn't give me one way or the other. All he told me is just take it to someone else, pull the valve off, and look at it. And if he seems to think so, it was the lower cam. If it's not, he gave me the impression that the motor would have to be teared down again. I yeah. didn't want to go through that on that. Yeah, well, if the cam is making noise on that particular one, you certainly have to go into the motor to do it because the timing chain has to come off to get the cam out. And the timing chain, you got to take the front of the motor apart. So, so it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, I mean, it's not, not anything, any, you know, noises in a motor are hardly ever going to be anything easy. Now, I would certainly want to get that to somebody who knew what they're doing, get them to diagnose it properly. I mean, you could have something like a, a loose bolt in your flex plate making a knocking or tapping noise. Mm -hmm. So, and that's relatively easy. The whole key, just like everything else, Frank, is to get somebody who knows what they're doing to diagnose the problem properly. Because the last thing in the world you want to do is go and pull that head off of there and not find anything and then come bring it to somebody and say, oh, yeah, here you got a loose bolt in the flywheel. Mm. You know? So I would first off see if you're still under warranty. That's where you have to start. And if you are, go back to him and just say, hey, look, man, you know, I paid you to fix this. It's still tapping. That's not fixed. And I find if you're, if you're nice but persistent, you can generally get something done. last thing you want to do is go in there screaming and hollering because that's not going to make him any easier to work yeah, with. Yeah, I know that, yeah. Uh, so... Well, it wasn't the fact that he took the motor down himself. I had a grandson as a mechanic. He took the motor down and took it, we took it to him to have mm -hmm. it uh, worked on. Yes, sir. And he reinstalled it for me. Yes, sir. Well, again, you just have to see what kind of warranty he offers. If he doesn't offer a warranty on it or if it's out of warranty, that's all part of the cost of the job. It's easy to see it after the fact. It's kind of hard going in. But like my old man always told me, so sometimes the cheapest way out is the most expensive way in. Yeah. <laughs> Hindsight's twenty twenty. All right, thanks a lot. Okay, Frank. Bye bye. All right. Hi, if you want to be part of the automotive eye, we would love to have you. We're gonna take one last quick little break. We'll be right back. So, Tina, are you interested in shopping next weekend? Oh, well, me and Harold leave for our European cruise on Friday. Another cruise? What? 
Are you all blowing the kids' inheritance? <laughs> no, we're just smart with our money. Like, our cars are paid off, and we're big on preventative maintenance. Harold takes them in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what we need to keep the cars running right. You'd be surprised on how fast you can save for a cruise without two car notes. <laughs> wow, I never thought of that. I have time to do a little shopping this afternoon, though. I've got to get Harold a bathing suit. He keeps saying he wants one of those tiny Speedo suits because that's what everybody wears in Europe. And I cannot let that happen. Okay, now I have an image of Harold strutting around the pool in a Speedo. I think I'm going to book a general inspection from Agco to clear my mind. He wanted hot pink, too. <laughs> Tina, stop. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? And we'll got all our lines open. We'll be glad to pop you right up at the top. Still got quite a few minutes left and get questions Get a good answered. answer? That's right. I kind of, my heart goes out to Frank, and hindsight is 2020. After you've gotten yourself into a situation, it's really easy to say, well, if I'd have done this, it wouldn't happen. Exactly. But when you're going into it, it's a little harder to see. And, of course, trying to save money is everybody's – everybody wants to do that. Everybody wants to save money. Nobody wants to spend any more money than they have to. Right. But you always got to remember, sometimes if I try to save money, I'm going to end up spending a whole more lot more money than if I just went ahead and did the right thing. I remember one time I was painting my fence, and I consider myself pretty versed in this kind of stuff. But right. like a moron, I go down there and let the guy talk me into this low-priced paint. About $10 okay. a gallon cheaper. Well, I put it on the fence and do one coat, and it looks like I hadn't even painted it. <laughs> so now i got to go back and buy more. Well, now I'm up to what the good paint would have cost me. Plus, I had to paint the fence twice. Exactly. So twice as much labor. And then about four years later, it's an all feed out and pay Yeah. <laughs> I said, I feel like a real moron, you know? <laughs> but sometimes you're way better off to spend a few more bucks up front. It's just a whole lot cheaper down the road. That's it. Let's go to our phone lines. Ray, good morning, Ray. How are you doing, sir? Doing great, good sir. Good morning. I have a question. I have a 2000 Toyota Avalon. All right, sir. The driver's side, it won't lock. The rest is locking. It's automatic. It won't lock. I don't know what's the reason for it. Right. It won't lock when you hit your little remote. That's oh. true. Even with the manual, I cannot lock okay, it. Okay. It won't lock when you flip the little knob on the, on the hand either? That's true. Okay. It's probably the link inside the door has fallen off. There's a metal rod that runs from that knob. And they have what they call a door lock actuator, which is a magnet that pulls on that same little rod. Uh -huh. And probably those links have fallen off of the door. And mm -hmm. if what's going to happen when you open the door panel up, they're probably laying in the bottom of the door. Oh, so I have to take the panel off? You have to take oh, yeah. the panel off, and it's going to be a little plastic clip, and there might be two of them. They're probably laying in the bottom of the door, and they may be broken. I tell you, a mm -hmm. lot of times what happens, Ray, and people don't realize this, Somebody tries to steal the car, and they stick one of those Slim Jims down there, and they'll break those things. Oh. And you, they don't. maybe they don't get into the car, but next time you go to open it, it doesn't work. I know that happens a lot. But it's easy to fix that. I wouldn't call it easy. You have to pull the door paneling all off. It's a little tricky, but, I mean, yeah, if you're pretty handy, you could probably do it. Let me go. Let me ask you another. The door latch, how many screws in there? Just one? There, the door latch is going to be two. Yeah, it's two in that one. latch and then a bunch of little clips that hold it on. 
right. little okay. plastic clips, and you got to be kind of careful because you'll break them if, you, if you're not careful with it. Well, thanks a lot. All right. All righty. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. All right, for you on report of the automotive, hour, we would love to have you. And we got Chris online. Good morning, Chris. Hey, how you doing? Good, Good morning, great, sir. I've got a 2001 Blazer, okay. and it's getting hard to start. Okay. Once I get it started, it runs fine. Let me ask you it's, this, Chris. When you say hard to start, it's like when you turn the key, it just cranks over a number of times and then starts? Yeah. Okay, it just yeah, spins it takes, over? It, it Wor- spins worse over after it's fast. been sitting a while? Sir? Worse after it's been sitting a while? Uh, the car did sit for about uh, two weeks. Now, say it's worse after it sits for a while? Oh, yes. Okay. Two things are real common on that, Ray. Number one, and the cheapest, so check this first, find the fuel pressure regulator. It's a little round thing up on the fuel rail somewhere. It'll have a vacuum line on it. Pull that vacuum line off and see if any gas drips out of it. And if any gas at all drips out of that vacuum line, change the fuel pressure regulator. Because what happens, the regulator will get a little ruptured spot in it, and the fuel pressure will bleed down, which makes it hard to start. It also drips in the intake, which kind of floods it, which makes it hard to start. That's number one. Now, if that's not it, then it's probably the fuel pump itself. It's got a little check valve in the fuel pump, and what it does when you turn the key off, it closes and holds pressure on the fuel rail. And uh, if it doesn't, what it does, the gas will all kind of run back into the gas tank, and when you go to start it, it has to run that pump and force it all the way up to the front before it's going to start. Now, do yourself a favor. Don't just run in there and change the fuel pump. No, absolutely not. Get your fuel pressure gauge, <laughs> hook it to the rail, check your fuel pressure. Make sure it has specific pressure. fuel pressure. And holds it. And holds it after you turn the key off. Mm-hmm. Okay? okay. Because a now, lot of the fuel pumps that you buy are not as good as the one you're taking out. Right. If you've got, say you got 50 pounds of fuel pressure, but the spec is 62, then you need a new the fuel pump's right. not working right. Right. It's got to be right on it's the spec. It's got to be right on the spec to operate properly. Just a few a few PSI makes a big, big difference. And if you turn the key off and it drops to zero immediately, then it's not sealing good. Right. But see, the okay. regulator will do the same thing. Now, I had to replace the fuel filter. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of trash in it. Yes, sir. Is that an indication maybe that the valve has gone bad? Well, the same thing that made the trash in the fuel filter probably took it out. I've used that private label gas. You know, and don't mention any names, but... If you buy a lot of aftermarket-type gas, you probably wiped out the fuel pump, and that's going to also clog up the fuel filter. It, you know, one didn't cause the other, but the same thing that caused the filter to plug up caused the pump to go bad. Right. Okay, and where's the pressure regulator? Up on the fuel rail. Should be on the driver's side, somewhere around the middle of the fuel rail. It's going to be a little silver-looking silver uh, diaphragm-looking deal with a vacuum line on top of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Should be real easy to spot. Great. All right, man. Okay, thanks. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, part of the Automotive Hour. We would love to have you. And we've got Charles online. Good morning, Charles. Good morning. Yes, sir. My name is Charles. I've yes, got a, a, I bought a 2001 Chrysler Sebring, mm-hmm. an LXI. Uh-huh. And the air conditioner works when it wants to. Okay. So When it doesn't work, the, what's it doing, Charles? Is the blower not blowing or just not getting just, cold? No, it's blowing and everything is everything is it's, it's running the way it's supposed to run, but it's just not cooling the vehicle off. Okay. So I took it back to the dealership. Mm-hmm. And I bought the car. It only had like 9,000 miles mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. And so I figured, well, I was going to take it down, and maybe that was a recall. Uh-huh. And they said it runs. They said it's working in accordance with specs. But well, it, yeah, but, but see, it's it an intermittent problem. The, the AC, the, the, the air compressor, mm-hmm. is not coming on all the time. Yeah, that's right. That, well, yeah, that's what it's doing. But there's about 200,000 different things that can make the AC compressor not come on. Uh-huh. And it's an intermittent problem. If you just go in saying my AC is not cooling, you didn't give them the right complaint. So they get in there and say, yeah, it is cooling. But see, what sure. you got to tell them is, hey, after I drive it for 30 minutes, it quits right. cooling. Well, that's a whole different thing. 
Right. So, you know, if you give them the wrong problem, you can get the wrong diagnosis. I see. So you have to tell them specifically what it's doing, when it does it. See, a lot of things can cause that. One is if the clutch is slipping on the AC just slightly, it's right. going to generate a lot of heat, and then after you drive it a long ways, it's going to overheat and it's going to kick out. Mm-hmm. Another thing is if you got any moisture in the system, it can form a little air bubble and it can freeze, which can block the flow. I mean, you can have an actuator door that opens up and blocks the coal from the evaporator core. So there's lots of things that can cause that. The point is you've got to give them the proper information, if you ever, and, and particularly in a dealership. See, but in the independent shop, they're generally going to try to drag that out of you. But a dealership, you say, hey, it doesn't work. They can write that down. So go to the tech. He's going to drive so it does work. He's going to hand the kick back to him. Well, you, you, what's ironic is that if I put it on defroster, mm-hmm. it works. Yeah, so you're probably into something under the dash. And when you go to defrost, you're changing all the mode door positions and all. Mm-hmm. It's got a blend door in there, Charles. And what it does is a heater core on one side, and then there's an evaporator core on the other side, and in the middle is fresh air. And it's ducting air through this evaporator core, which is removing the heat and making the car cold. Well, if that door flops over and goes to the fresh air position, now it's blowing outside air. So the AC could be cooling its tail off, but you're still going to get outside air because that's the position of that door. When you go to defrost, you're just moving all the mode doors, making them actuate again. So it could be something in there. What you can have to determine is how long it takes for it to occur. If it's a half an hour, 45 minutes, whatever, and tell them that. And the absolute best is if you can bring it in while it's occurring, like go drive it first, then get it to do it, and then bring it in while it's doing it. Then they'll be able to go right to it. Okay, man. All right. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. All right, bro, I think we got – do we have time for one more call? Right. Make it quick. He said, he said, <laughs> Man said, make said, it quick. Make it quick. <laughs> we got Arthur online. Good morning, Arthur. Yes, Good morning. Sir. I want to throw my two cents in about gasoline. Okay. I drove a 01 Chevrolet truck with it. I put 280,000 miles mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said to think about good, buying good gasoline yes, when sir. I first bought it, but I started just buying the cheapest <laughs> gasoline. Yeah. I could, just the cheapest gasoline I could yeah. find anywhere, yeah. and I never had any trouble. Well, but see, Arthur, you're a sample of one. Right. I got a stepfather who's 85 years old, 87 years old, been smoking since he was 13, he ain't never got cancer. But if we take 10,000 people who smoked and 10,000 people who didn't smoke, how many of them are going to be in what kind of shape? Well, all right, I'm driving a 2010 Toyota Tundra, yep. and I'm doing the same thing. Good luck to you. <laughs> good luck to you, and keep my car. And it's getting 20 miles to the yeah, gallon yeah. on a big old Tundra truck. Yeah, hold on to my business car, because you're going to probably need me pretty soon. That's it. Yeah, a lot of times people do. I, I know people who drive 90 miles an hour and don't ever stop a stop sign, never have a wreck. That's right. But just, just the, the odds way are, higher. That's it. <laughs> hey, I want to thank everybody for listening to us this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. And we'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening. Good deal. Thank you. Bye-bye.